Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. Today I want to discuss the word apologetics. What does this word mean? Where does it come from? And really, why should you care? If you're a Christian, you might be familiar with the word and where it comes from. But if you're someone that's new to the Christian faith, or someone that does not claim to be a Christian, this word might seem odd. The word apologetics comes from the Bible, in 1 Peter 3.15, where it tells us to sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts. We are told to always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us. Yet, we are told to do this with gentleness and respect. In this verse, when we're told to be ready to make a defense, in Greek, the word used here for defense is apologia, and it's from this word that we get apologetics from. Although this word sounds like apology, in no way is that what the word means. In fact, outside of the Bible, in ancient Greek literature, the term is used for making a defense in a court of law. For example, Plato wrote what was called the Apology of Socrates. Socrates was charged with corrupting the youth, as well as for failing to worship the Athenian gods. In the face of these charges, Socrates went before his accusers and made his famous Apologia. In no way was he apologizing to them for his views. As recorded in Plato's account of the trial, Socrates gave his defense, his apologia for his own beliefs and practices. When it comes to apologetics in the Christian faith, well, first, I don't want to assume that everyone listening to this podcast is a Christian. And so, for the non-Christian, the beauty of this word is that it's telling Christians that we need to be able to give you a reason for the hope that we have. We need to be able to give a defense and tell you why we believe in what we believe. If you, as the non-Christian, are asking us Christians, why do we believe in what we believe? The Bible in this verse is commanding us to be able to give you reasons for the valid questions that you are asking. For the Christian, same thing. We are called to study the scripture out. Not only should we be studying the scripture, but we should study other things as well, like math and science, along with other fields. Christians need to be able to give a reason for anyone that walks up to us and asks us questions about our faith. Now, you might have some objections to this statement. You might be thinking, Brian, I can understand why I need to study the Bible in order to interact with non-believers, but why are you claiming that I need to study out other subjects as well? I say this because the Bible makes it clear that God is the creator of all things. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. When you study different subjects, like astronomy and earth science, you get exposed to our finely tuned universe. The evidence screams out, I was created. I was perfectly designed so that life could exist. I was 
was perfectly designed by an intelligent creator. When you study fields like molecular biology and look through the microscope, evidence for a creator jumps out at you. Why do I say this? I say this because when you look through the telescope at the planetary orbits or through the microscope at the complexity of things like the bacterial flagellum that looks like an engineered engine with a drive shaft and rotors, it's clear that these things are the result of intelligence and not the result of random mutations. These things were designed and perfectly placed. This becomes more clear when you study these different fields and realize that if there was the slightest adjustment, whether to the Earth's position or its rotational spin, or to things like the proteins which make up DNA, if there was the slightest adjustment to any of these things, life would not exist. When you look through the lens of the telescope or a microscope, it is clear that the object you are looking at is complex and orderly, which points to an intelligent creator. When you look at such evidence, it is clear that the universe was created and points to a creator, which is why Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And also why Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that people are without excuse. We are without excuse because since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. In other words, in this verse from Romans, God is telling us that He has revealed Himself to us through His creation, and He has made it so clear to us that He is real, which is why people are without excuse. Now, besides these fields that I just mentioned, people should also study mathematics. Mathematical patterns are all around us, which points to our Creator's signature. A common pattern is a spiral, which we see in sunflowers, ram's horns, DNA molecules, tornadoes and hurricanes, and other things all around us in God's creation. Each of these spirals has a specific mathematical pattern. In fact, in the 13th century, Leonardo Fibonacci noticed these patterns when he was breeding rabbits and recording their breeding habits. His discovery resulted in these patterns in creation being known as Fibonacci numbers. Have you ever stopped to think about why mathematics works? If you think about it, the only way mathematics can work is if the universe was created. Have you thought about the fact that our physical universe operates mathematically? Everything in our universe is precise. Only a created universe could explain this. Mathematics would not exist if our universe came about as the result of random mutations through evolution. So when Christians study mathematics, astronomy, biology, and other fields of science, they come face to face with evidence for God's existence. 
Having this knowledge better prepares the Christian to be able to give a reason for the faith that we have or to be able to give a defense for why you're a Christian. As Christians, we need to be able to make an apologia for what we believe. But there's three parts to this verse that are very important and which most people don't pay attention to. Oftentimes, if I'm talking to a Christian about apologetics and I ask them if they know what apologetics is or where the word comes from, some Christians know that it comes from 1 Peter 3.15 and that it means to give a reason or to make a defense. However, oftentimes these Christians completely miss the other parts of the verse, which are equally important. Although 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to give a reason or to make a defense, that answer is only partially correct. Really, when you look at the verse, you will see that there are actually three parts to this verse that are all crucially important. The first part of this verse tells us to sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts. The word sanctify is a word that means to make something holy or to set something aside as being sacred. In other words, in this verse, Peter is telling us to set Jesus apart as holy. Jesus Christ must be sacred to us as Christians. That is the first step according to this verse. This is important because if you do not sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and you're going out to make a defense, really, all you're doing is you're going out for the sake of winning an argument. And that is not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is one setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart. He has to be first and foremost in your life. The second part of this verse is the command for us as Christians to always be prepared. You have to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. In order to be prepared, that implies that you're going to be studying. That implies that you're going to be wrestling with questions. That implies that you are going to be rolling up your sleeves and getting dirty and spending time studying and interacting with non-believers or with people that have different views from yourself. It implies that you're not going to be sitting on the sidelines and that you're actually going to be getting in there, working hard, studying the Bible, and not just showing up to church on Sunday mornings for an hour, and then having nothing to do with the Bible outside of that time. This part of the verse is saying that you, as a Christian, are going to be working hard, trying to come up with a defense, a reasonable defense, to anyone that asks you questions about your Christian faith. The third part of this verse, that is also just as important as the first two parts, tells us that when we're making our defense, when we're making our apologia to the person that comes up to us and asks us why we believe what we believe, or how we could believe in what we believe, we're called to do this with gentleness and respect. The reality is, 
when someone comes up and asks you why you're a Christian, those interactions are not always cordial. Those interactions are oftentimes sarcastic and filled with differences in worldview opinions. These conversations, they can start off friendly, but oftentimes the tone will shift to one of sarcasm or sometimes disgust. For example, you may encounter someone asking a straightforward question, why are you a Christian? However, through their tone, they treat you as though being a Christian means that somehow you've sacrificed your intellect. During these times of interactions, the moment it is known that you're a Christian, you will hear things like this. Science has disproved the existence of God, so why are you a Christian? Another question could be, why are you a Christian when the Bible has been proved wrong? With these kinds of questions, you're ultimately being asked why you're putting your faith in a fairy tale. A different kind of question that you might encounter is something like this. How can you claim that Christianity is the one way to get to heaven when there are literally thousands of religions or religious beliefs in the world? Each of these questions and objections regarding the Christian faith are valid questions and objections that deserve well-thought-out responses. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, why did you? There are literally thousands of religions in the world. So why did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you thought about that? Has science disproved the existence of God? Has the Bible been proved wrong? If you haven't asked yourself these kinds of questions, you should. Wrestling with these kinds of questions helps you to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Sometimes people ask you questions about the Christian faith respectfully, but oftentimes, even though the question is valid, the tone is sarcastic, rude, and disrespectful. And it's at these times that we must respond with gentleness and respect. We will encounter different questions and arguments regarding our faith that comes off as an attack. But we need to remember what 1 Peter 3.15 tells us. We must set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. We represent Christ, not ourselves. We are Christ's ambassadors. As his ambassadors, we need to be prepared to give reasons for the hope that is in us. Lastly, we need to be willing to respond in gentleness and respect. And it's okay as a Christian if someone is talking to us and asking us these kinds of questions or making objections about our Christian faith. It's okay for you to say, you know what? I don't have an answer for you at this time. Let me study that out and get back to you. Now, you might be thinking to yourself that apologetics seems like nothing more than arguing and telling other people that you're right and they're wrong. Sadly, many Christians avoid studying apologetics because they hold this view. However, it's clear from 1 Peter 3.15 that apologetics done properly 
is to be winsome. It's important to note that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, Paul, in his letter to Timothy, wrote that the Lord's servant should correct his opponents. Paul explains that this correction needs to be done, but he makes it clear that this correction needs to be done without being quarrelsome and should be done with gentleness, which is exactly what 1 Peter 3.15 says. The reason Christians must correct their opponents is so that just as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 to 26, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. These verses that I've just read plainly state that correction must take place in order to lead to the salvation of those who have been snared by the devil. These verses also make it clear that correction is not the same thing as arguing. In fact, Paul writes that Christians must not be quarrelsome. Besides these verses from 2 Timothy, Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthian church, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that Christians have been given divine power to destroy strongholds. More than that, Paul writes in verse 5 that with this divine power, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Besides these verses that I've just shared, there are numerous other verses throughout the New Testament that make it clear that it's the Christian's responsibility to guard against false teaching, as we see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and that Christians need to contend for the faith, as Jude tells us in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. I also want to point out that when Peter wrote 1 Peter 3.15, he didn't write it to pastors and Bible scholars. He wrote it to average people in the churches spread throughout the Roman Empire. Just as Christians were expected to defend the faith back then, Christians are expected to defend the faith today. As you can see, God makes it clear that Christians must study apologetics. When I first became a believer, I remember going to my church, and I would have questions, and I would ask members of the church the different questions that I had about the Bible or about the Christian faith. Oftentimes, the responses I received was, Brian, you just have to believe, or Brian, you just have to have faith. Those kinds of responses drove me nuts, because I felt like there had to be answers to these questions that I had. I didn't think that these were super difficult questions. Not only that, but I would go and interact with my non-Christian friends, and they would ask me questions that I never had answers to. So then, I felt like I was being extremely foolish, especially with some of my friends that were highly educated. They always seemed to have answers, but I never did, and neither did the people at the church that I would ask my questions to. I always felt like there had to be answers to my questions and to the questions that my friends were asking me. 
So later on, fast forward a couple years, I was working at a Christian bookstore in the Central Valley of California. And I remember talking to a coworker of mine and asking him if there were any books that would help answer difficult questions related to or regarding the Christian faith in the Bible. And his response was, oh, you mean apologetics books. And that was my first introduction to apologetics and apologetics books. After that, I started reading authors like Josh McDowell and several of his books, like The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, or More Than a Carpenter, or other books by different Christian apologists. By reading these books, I began to see that there were so many excellent answers to the questions I had about the Christian faith and about the Bible. Through my studies over the years, I have found that there are excellent answers to the questions that either we as Christians have, or that non-believers have about the Bible and the Christian faith. So please, don't be afraid to have questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid of someone else coming up and asking you questions about the Christian faith or the Bible. And if you don't know the answer, just be patient. Write down the question and validate their questions by saying something like, you know, that's an excellent question. Let me study this out and get back to you. This kind of a response opens up the door for a follow-up conversation. Because the fact is, when you study things out about the Bible, there are answers. There is absolutely nothing to be afraid of when it comes to the Bible or any objection that someone could make about the Bible. As I bring this episode to a close, I want to talk about something that I've been repeating throughout this episode. I've mentioned the importance of studying difficult topics out in order to find answers. For almost 20 years, I've been studying apologetics and answering difficult questions. My studies started off with just reading different apologetics books, but then my studies progressed and I ended up earning a master's degree in the subject. And now, I'm currently pursuing my doctorate in apologetics. That being said, through all of my studies and having to wrestle with the many objections to the Christian faith in the Bible, I have found answers to each of those objections, and my faith has only been made stronger. I say this because I want to encourage each of you to study out your questions or to study out the questions that you receive from others. If you'd like resources that can help, I want to tell you about my website, brianoconnell.org, that has a lot of helpful videos from different Christian apologists. Also, in other episodes, I provide answers to many questions that people have about Christianity and the Bible. Some of these questions are, has science disproved the existence of God? With so many religions in the world, how could someone claim that Christianity is the one true faith? Has the Bible been corrupted over thousands of years, or is it reliable? Are Mormons our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are Jehovah's Witnesses our brothers and sisters in Christ? How can a loving God allow evil, as well as other topics? Remember, don't be afraid of questions. 
either questions that you have about the Bible or that other people have about the Bible. God can handle questions. That's all the time that we have for today. Listen to my other episodes as I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. God bless.